Hope, hope, hope everyone's doing fine. I see some of you starting to join the chat. What's up, Doug? What's up, Cynthia Richardson? Um, give it literally 15 more seconds and then we will jump in. Um, to be clear, this will also go up on the YouTube channel. So if you want to like rewatch it after the fact, um, that won't be a problem either. So good evening, everyone. Um, yes, I am super duper duper nervous. It's the first time doing anything like this. Uh, for me at least. Um, so wish me luck. And oh, I'm being told you cannot hear me. Give me a thumbs up in the chat if you can hear me now. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Testing one, two. Testing one, two. think you're hearing me now because I see someone just reacted warrior woman all the way from see if I remember the slang Oz um, gotcha awesome so let's jump straight in here um, what are evil spirits slash demons and more importantly why does it matter to us so as is usual with you know Bible hacking um, we're gonna go straight to the scripture like I, I'm less concerned about opinions and stuff like that. I'm more, you know, trying to see, hey, what does the Bible tell us about this? Um, so we'll jump into the scripture, but another aspect to what we do, and there will be Q&A, so if you got questions, type question in large caps and pop it down there and it followed by your question, and we will get to that. What I'll do is I'll do probably 10 minutes or so of explanation, and, you know, I'll kind of lay my case out and with, with scriptures and everything, and then we'll jump on to the um, actual um, Q&A. So if you have questions, you can start populating them and we will definitely get to them. So grace and peace, everyone. Mr. Phil Fox, I see you, bro. I see James Barton. Um, so awesome. Very, very glad to have you guys there. Seeing the people drop in is actually making me significantly more nervous. So thanks, um, but it is what it is. <clears throat> so, as I was saying, in addition to trying to understand what the Bible says about stuff, which is what Bible hacking is all about, um, we also want to break down or dispel tradition. There's a lot of stuff that we as Christians just kind of accept. Oh, this is tradition. This is what we think it is. So, there's a lot of that with this topic, and I want to clarify, hey, what's the difference between what the Bible says and what the tradition says? And obviously, if the Bible makes it clear... I'll lean towards the Bible and dismiss tradition. So on that note, let's jump straight in. Now, let me make sure I think this is going to come across well, and I think it does. Okay, so the first place that um, we typically hear, and what, we'll, what I'll jump on first is what demons are not. So um, let's, let's, get, let's, let's deal with what demons are not. So first of all, um, the first thing you tend to hear is 
Um, demons are these, you know, fallen angels, and uh, you'd often hear about, you know, there's a third of the, the 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 angels that fell with Satan, and we hear this described as some kind of a pre-creation thing that happened, and from then on, you know, these fallen angels have been fighting, you know, against us. Um, I don't believe that's accurate, and just digging around and searching, it, I think it's pretty easy to dispel. The, the proof text on that whole a third of the angels fell is here. And that's Revelations 12, 1. And we see, and now the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to earth. That is literally the only place in the Bible the term third, together with angels or stars, appears. It doesn't appear anywhere else. The problem with that premise is, what is the context of this verse? And you can see, if you go back up to verse 1, the great sign appeared in heaven, a woman, a woman clothed in the sun, with the moon under her feet. She was pregnant, and she was screaming in labor and struggling to give birth. Then another sign appeared, and a red, red dragon had seven heads and seven horns, etc., etc., and that dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that he may devour her child as soon as it was born. I'm going to pause right there. And so the woman gave birth to the son, sorry, a male child, who is going to rule over all the nations. So let me just pause right there. What does this sound like to the average Christian person that's reading their Bible? It's pretty clearly talking about the birth of Jesus. So this whole war in heaven where the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars or angels if it did happen the way we right now I'm positioning it, this would have been happening right around the birth of Jesus. This is in reaction to the birth of Jesus. The, the devil stands up to the woman and he starts fighting. And if you read a little bit further down, it actually goes further and it says, um, then um, war broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. And the dragon was not strong enough to prevail. So we're already seeing here, timing-wise, this could not be the, the demons that we see, you know, deal, working in the Bible because this is, this is not Adam and Eve. This is not before then. This is significantly after then. But I'm going to throw another kind of spark in the wrench. Most biblical scholars, let me say many biblical scholars, actually interpret this, now the dragon's tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven, in a different way. So this sounds like the dragon's tail takes the stars of the heaven with him. However, if we reread this, and Revelations uses a lot of Old Testament, and if you read here in Daniel 8, which is what scholars believe that verse in Revelations is alluding to, talks about a small horn that came and grew very big from the south to the east towards the beautiful land, it's obviously Israel, and so it grew so big it reached the army of heaven, and it brought some brought about the fall of some of the army and some of the stars to the ground where it trampled them. So we're already getting a, let's call it a dissenting opinion here, where the stars that fall aren't falling together with the dragon. They might be stars, angels that fell and were defeated by the dragon. So the, the, the parallel um, theme in there, you know, this is not cut and dry. Oh, that's when demons came about. So let's dig a little further. I know some of you are probably saying, you know, the, the ones who have heard some of this stuff before, um, you know, Greg, you know, it's, it's probably the, the, the angels that fell, the angels that sinned. So let's go there. Um, Genesis 6, 
talks about the Nephilim were on the earth those days when the sons of God were having relations with the daughters of humankind and gave birth to their children, etc., etc. And these were the giants, the heroes of old, the, 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 you know, the, the Nephilim, the Giborim, the mighty men of old, etc. That's the term that was used here. So the next argument will be, hey, Greg, those sons of God, the angels, you know, the, the, the heavenly beings that came down and rebelled, those are the demons that fly around. The problem with that premise is if we go back to the New Testament and Enoch describes this process and what happens significantly more, but I must just leave it at this. If we go to the New Testament, we get this detail. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but threw them into hell and locked them up in chains in utter darkness to be kept until judgment. And if he did not spare the ancient world, but did protect Noah. So we see a clear allusion. This in Genesis 6 all happened right before the flood of Noah. And the flood of Noah was a response to the proliferation of evil. And God said, look, um, the wickedness of mankind has become so great. Every inclination of their thoughts, of their minds was evil all the time. The Lord regretted it. And he said, I will wipe out humankind who I have created from the face of the earth. And that's where he said, so I'm going to declare a flood. So we, we, we see the context here. We see the context again in Peter that those angels who sinned, they've been locked up. And like I said, if you go into one Enoch, which I'm not going to get into that discussion again. No, it's not canon, but it's very obvious that Peter, and I could point to places where Jesus alludes to it as well, is clearly having that in mind because the details of the angels who sinned, Angels, plural. Does, there's no other cases of angels sinning in the Bible. Uh, and the details of them getting thrown into hell and locked up in chains, that doesn't appear in the Bible. It does appear in Enoch, though. So, uh, like I said, Enoch, not scripture, but this biblical author is clearly leaning on Enoch. Let's go a, a little bit more proof. Jude 6, they also um, refer to or allude to Enoch. You may know that. Angels who did not keep their proper domain, that terminology where they broke the heavenly domain and came to earth, abandoned their place of residence, they are kept in eternal chains in utter darkness for the judgment of the great day. So we know for sure those angels that re rebelled and came down, they were locked up in chains. So now we know what demons are not. It's not fallen angels. It's not, you know, that third that came down, you know, in Revelation. So what is it? So let's start digging into that. I've already spoken about, um, and let me just make sure everything is going good. Yep, I see no big complaints that something blew up, so I'm going to simply proceed. So um, I, I, I already spoke a little bit about Enoch. Let's dig a little bit deeper. And again, what does Enoch say? Enoch 10, 1 Enoch 10, um, starting in verse 9. And the Lord said to Gabriel, go against the bastards against the base ones and the children of fornication and destroy the children of the watchmen among the people. What is happening in Enoch here? This is where Gabriel, that's one of the angels, is being told to not just destroy and lock up the angels that sinned, that's who we hear him referred to there. He's also being told, now go and act against the spawn of those angels that sinned. And that is where intertestamental documentation, so books like Enoch go into more depth about this, but also books like Jubilees, and I'll, I'll actually just touch on it here. Oops, 
um, from um, Jubilees. Hold on, I'm gonna change camera angles so you can see what I'm looking at. From um, ancient Jewish literature, um, Jubilees, Jubilees 10 um, talks about, and I'm just gonna read a short uh, part of it, um, where both demons, both in Enoch 1 through 30, 1 Enoch 1 through 36, as well as Jubilees 10, demons are the spirits of the giants which survive after the bodies of the giants die. And since they are half human and half rebel, they are both wicked and cause suffering. So we have kind of a, a quick hint there in terms of what these demons are. Second temple, so that's you know right around when Jesus was born and slightly before, Jewish authors, Jewish scholars who studied the Bible, that's what they came up with. They believed these spawn the spirits of the dead giants. Those are what roamed around the earth. And you can in Jubilees 10, Noah is actually reaching out to um, um, you know God and saying, hey, these the spirits of these Nephilim that died in the flood are tormenting my grandchildren. Could you please help me with them? And then there's a whole division of, and God says, you know, I'm going to put them under um, jurisdiction of this other thing, and et cetera, et cetera. So we start getting a template for that here. Let's go to the New Testament and kind of dig into it a smidge more and kind of see what's happening. Um, that idea of these dead spirits of giants roaming the earth, we see that here again, where in Matthew 12, 43, Jesus says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, and I need you to focus on that term, unclean spirit, and we'll come back to that in a second. It passes through the waterless places, that's the desert, the wilderness, where they believe evil spirits resided, looking for rest, but it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the home I left. So it's talking about, Jesus was talking about here, when someone, get, a demon gets thrown out, cast out by him, Jesus, or anyone else, um, of a human, the physical body, because these disembodied spirits of the dead giants, um, they want somewhere to embody. They find a human body, they take up residence there, and when Jesus or the disciples or us exorcises or casts out that demon, it goes looking around in the waterless places. Side note, it's not accidentally that Jesus was tempted in the Gospels in the wilderness. It's not accidental, and um, the Bodega um, clan spoke about this last, I want to say, Thursday night. Um, where um, the goat, um, the, the Azazel, where, you know, the, the children of Israel during a certain time of the year, would, the priest would lay hands and put the sin of the people on a goat and set, send that goat out into the wilderness uh, where they, you know, said Azazel, this chief demon, lived. Like the wilderness, the waterless dry places was a bad place. So that, that principle keeps appearing in scripture. So we see already the, 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 the tie-in where Jesus is saying these spirits roam around, that ties back to the whole Enoch, Jubilees um, way of thinking that you know these things are roaming around the world. Like I said, not fallen angels, because they when they rebelled, they you know got locked up. So this is where I'm pointing to. I think these are the spirits of the dead Nephilim. So, and again, the Nephilim died. Um, you know, during the flood, but there were giant clans after that, and Joshua and Moses, you know, attacked and defeated several of them, all the way up to David. King David was, you know, he was well known for defeating Goliath. Those are the half-breed, mixed, unclean spirits, bastard spirits, as Enoch and Jubilees refers to them, um, that we refer to as demons for the most part now. So let's go a little, let me prove it a little bit further to you. 
Um, so we are in the New Testament. We're in Matthew. Let's go now to in the New Testament. I did a search here and I let me make sure this is pretty visible. And we're talking there. Yes, it is. Gotcha. So um, did a search here. And I looked for the term unclean spirits because we saw in the prior verse when an unclean spirit goes out of a person, it passes through the waterless places. Let's dig into that unclean spirit a bit more. And what I found is the most common term for demon used in the New Testament is unclean spirit. And you see it here all over the place. But how can I make the assumption that unclean spirit is the same thing as a demon? Very easily. Because the terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament. I'll give you my example of that. Um, sending out the 12 apostles in Matthew. It says Jesus called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits. That, and he told them, you know, you're going to heal every kind of sickness and disease. That same parallel sending out now in Luke. After Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to rule over all demons and cure diseases. And you see that parallel throughout the New Testament. In unclean spirits, demons, one and the other. We, we toss them off and you know the, the New Testament refers to them accordingly. And like I said, the most common term used in the New Testament is for demon is an unclean spirit. So where does that term unclean come from? And we, in our 21st century context, might think unclean, you know, dirty, you know, it's bad, it's evil. That is not what um, um, the, 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 the biblical audience thought when they heard unclean. Unclean was something described in the Old Testament, in the, Levit the Levitical law. What, what was unclean? A couple of things. Um, things that, like women's menstruation or other bodily fluids of men was considered unclean. So unclean is not tied to evil or sin per se. It, it, it is a term of not fit for um, sacred space. So that's what unclean means. But what are some of the other things that are defined as unclean? Touching a dead person. So if your dad dies and you got to take care of his, you know, whatever burial arrangements, when you touch him, there are sacrifices you have to make to get yourself back to the clean state. You didn't sin, you didn't do something wrong, but you touched something dead. If an animal dies and you touch the animal like Samson did, Samson knew he was not to touch carcasses. And several times in the Samson narrative, he touched carcasses, unclean, the carcass, the touching of something dead. So death is one of the things that makes unclean. Um, the other thing that makes unclean sometimes is sexual related things. I already touched on menstruation and male semen, for example. If you came in contact with either of those fluids, um, bodily fluids like that, that's considered unclean. The next thing that is also, and this is very unusual for us, considered unclean, is mixing of two things that are not the same. So the, the, in the Levit Levitical law, it talks about, for example, mixing two different materials, cotton and silk, for example, in one garment is considered unclean. Planting two different seeds, wheat and whatever else, you know, rice in the same field is considered unclean because they don't like the concept of mixture. Those things were considered unclean. So the reason why these spirits are called unclean and bastard is pointing back to where the spirits come from. It's not that they're covered in mud or they are physically dirty or they are explicit. The unclean doesn't point to evil. 
The unclean in the case of the spirit points to the mixture. Unclean spirits were a mixture of things that left their heavenly realm, sons of God, and mixed with humans. The sin described in Peter is they broke their heavenly estate. And this, that, that was a part of the sin. And they mixed with humans and their spawn were these giants. When you kill a giant, you get this weird hybrid mixture spirit flying around that is stronger. That is what this unclean spirit is leading forward. And that's why we, 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 we call them the New Testament ex almost not exclusively, but largely refers to them and most frequently refers to them as unclean spirits. So let's dig a little bit deeper. We already touched on the sending out. So why now is this important to us in the New Testament? In today, you know, in the today's church. And I'll tell you why. Because contrary to the common belief that Jesus came to die for our sins, there were other aspects of what Jesus came to do. And that is what the, the unclean spirits aspect um, refers to. <clears throat> Go to 1 Corinthians 2.8, uh, and Paul, I'll come off of 1 Corinthians 2.8 for a second. Paul constantly had this supernatural perspective viewpoint in mind. When he wrote Ephesians 6, you know, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. It's very obvious, he, what, you know, he has this supernatural worldview and perspective in mind. We see it again here. Instead, we speak with wisdom of God, hidden in a mystery that God determined before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age, some of the other interpretations translate that, none of the evil rulers understood it. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And that is the point of why we need to understand what it is we're fighting against. Because Jesus, when he came, he explicitly came, among other things, to reverse the evil that proliferated in the world. And one of those evil aspects was these evil spirits, the, the, the spirits of the dead giants, tormenting us. One of the other evil aspects was death. <clears throat> if you remember in... I'm going to switch camera angles for a second. If you remember in one of our other talks um, in Genesis around the fall and, you know, the Genesis 3 specifically, we spoke about um, when we talk about the image of God. I might put the link for that up here in a later date. But we spoke about um, that image was, was, was attacked by, um, you know, mortality, death coming into the earth. And the curse that Yahweh put on the snake, which is a divine creature, we spoke about that there, so you can visit that back if you want to. The curse put on the snake was, you are going to now eat dust. So oftentimes that's interpreted, oh, eat dust. You know, he used to, the snake used to stand up and talk, now he's going to lie down. That's not what the ancient Near East thought. What the ancient Near East understood that to mean is, God, man is going to go from dust to dust. Man was created from dust, and when he dies, he's going back to dust. The snake now has the realm of dust, death. Jesus, and Jesus wanted to reverse that. He also wanted to reverse the authority or power these evil spirits, these conjoined hybrid things that came out of this rebellion of the, the heavenly forces um, when they came down and mixed with women. Jesus needed to deal with that as well. And all of that is part of why he came down and why he had to die. 
And I said this in one of my, when I talked with my daughter, my 12 year old, and she, it, it resonated to her. So y'all young people, it'll probably resonate to you as well. The Orthodox Church, and I believe it's, I'm not, it, probably Augustine, but don't quote me on that, but or early church fathers, including the, many of the African church fathers, um, wrote about this. And their understanding of Jesus' death was not just as simple as an atoning sacrifice that you know superseded every other sacrifice. It was also about Jesus dying to go into the realms of death and speak to those spirits, including the demons, including Satan, and including everything else, and saying, your authority is now over. He had to go down there and tell them and take the authority from them. And through that is why we now have authority over demons, etc., etc., etc. That was the acting out of it. That was a part of Jesus's mission when he came to earth to take that authority back and give it to us. And that's why you see as Paul and Peter and in the Acts, you see that continuously being reiterated. We now have authority. We now have authority. That's where it comes from. And that's why it's important to understand where, what these demons are and where they come from. We don't simply have authority over angels. We have authority over those evil spirits that um, used to have authority over death. And the, the, the slang that I'll close us on is death thought it was going to catch a body, meaning it thought it was getting a body when Jesus died. This is why the rulers, and I'll, I'll quickly flip back here. This is why the rulers of this age, the minute Jesus came on the scene, first we see in Revelations, spiritually they try to attack him and have him killed. And then for the rest of his life, they're trying to have him killed because they didn't get the trick. God had determined this and had planned this before the beginning of time that we would have this out. It wasn't a surprise to God that, oh my God, people fell. Like he knew it. He's sovereign. He's, he, he has, he's omniscient. He knew exactly what was going to go down. And he planned all of this before the ages. But the rulers of evil didn't get their plan. So they thought they were getting a body <clears throat> when, Jesus, when they killed Jesus. What they didn't realize is it was actually a hook that was being baited, sent down to hell, and when that hook came back up, when Yahweh pulled it back, the hook being Jesus, he's coming back with the authority to give it to us. So on that note, no, I went a little longer. Um, let me see if there's any questions. And if there's none, we will bounce out of here. And this will be a moderately, reasonably length um, um, video. I I've been tossing around, kind of wondering, like, is, is the length of the video too long, too short, or what? Um, so this one ended up still being 20 minutes plus, um, nonetheless. I am not seeing any questions, so awesome sauce. Um, I wanted to um, thank you all for being in here. Um, this was great. Um, we'll definitely be doing more lives in the near future. Oops, there's a question here. Is that where Jesus went before reduced? I don't understand that question, um, and that I think I know who that is. That's my people out in North Carolina. Um, if you want, um, restate that question. What do you mean, is that where Jesus went before reduced? Hmm. <clears throat> oh, is that where Jesus went before resurrection? Gotcha. Um, yes, that's exactly where Jesus went before resurrection. And you see that as well in... Um, I'm going to try to do this on the fly here. 
Give me a second. You see this as well in 1 Peter, not 2 Peter. And you're going to see me do this very much on the fly here. 1 Peter. Um, I want to say here. And I probably have it highlighted temporary residence. This is something I touched on before, so I think I have it covered. Yeah, there it is. There it is, right there. Because Jesus Christ, Christ also suffered once for sins, for the just and the unjust to bring you to God, by being put to death in the flesh, but by being made alive in the spirit. And in it, he went and preached or spoke to the spirits in prison. These spirits in prison that Jesus, that they're talking about here, this is when he is, I believe, this is the interpretation of when Peter, the same author, talks about these spirits in prison. So Peter has touched on spirits in prison here. In 2 Peter, he refers to those same spirits in prison when he says, um, you know, these are the, the, the evil spirits that, you know, went up with, um, whatchamacallit. So yes, Jesus went to hell, to the, the land of the dead, before he resurrected, and that's what he was doing. It wasn't just about a sacrifice, although a sacrifice is relevant. See another question here. Is the Hebrew word for unclean spirit and demon the same? No, it is not, and that's actually very interesting. The term unclean spirit is a New Testament terminology. We see that is that's what demons are called in the New Testament. Um, demon is actually a Greek term, and demon, the strict Greek term, is not an evil spirit. It is just a spirit. So you literally find places where demon is used and it is not negative. The Bible is the one that paints like in, in Greek literature and other Greek places. And I could probably even find a place or two in the Bible where demon, the term demon is used. The same, you know, demonios, the, the Greek term is used and it's not a negative connotation, but no, demon and unclean spirit are not the same actual word. The only parallel we have to be able to say they're talking about the same thing is where we did the comparison with, for example, the Gospels, where Jesus said, I give you authority over demons, but the other Gospel author turns it around and says, I give you authority over unclean spirits. And that's how we're able to say, okay, they're talking about the same thing. They're just using a different term for it. So let me see. Um, these powerless demons still roaming around trying to do their thing. Yes, they are still roaming. Good question, Cynthia Richardson. I see that. These powerless demons are still roaming around trying to do their thing. Um, until the time of judgment, which is an eschatological event that will probably that'll be in the future. Um, so they are still there. And this is a popular principle that I believe reoccurs in the Bible already, but not yet. If, you're, if you've ever heard Michael Heiser, probably got 12 of his books in the back behind me, um, he uses that terminology a lot on eschatol eschatological things. Think about it like um, when the, the, in World War II, and I know there's, there's some ethics here, but anyway, in World War II, when the, the Americans dropped nukes on Japan, that day the war didn't end. But that was the beginning of the end. When Jesus died and went down and took the authority, that was the beginning of the end. But that doesn't mean the battle is done. There's still some ongoing battles, which we are doing, but that was the beginning of the end. And they know that's the beginning of the end. And that's why it's important when you understand our calling is to evangelize, make disciples. 
Same calling that Jesus said, you have authority over these demons. I've given it to you. You got to go out. This is what you got to do. That's why I'm giving you authority. And the point is, in that interim space of already the defeat has already commenced, but it's not finished yet, our job is to pull as many people into the God's family as we can. And the demons, although they know their end is imminent, they are going to try to prevent us from pulling as many people in as possible. So that's why they, 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 we have authority over them, but they're not idle. They're not locked up in chains, so to speak. So let me see. I see another question here. With that said, then we have full power ourselves to get rid of unclean spirits we have encountered. Yes, in Christ, you absolutely have that power. That is unequivocal. The Bible says that a million places about his disciples. We have authority over these spirits. Would you say unclean spirit can cause depression, anger, hate, etc. when we do not exercise our minds to be fully in Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's often tied to sin as well, and that would be a different study, like who can be influenced. But where I would like to make a distinction, and I'm leaning again on the biblical text, we call it demon-possessed. That's the way it's been interpreted in many of the texts. The actual terminology, possessed in English, implies the demon owns it. And the quick response as a Christian is, well, we're owned by the Holy Spirit, demon can't own us. The actual term that appears in the Bible is demonized or under the influence of a demon. So while I do not believe a Christian with the Holy Spirit and filling him can have also a demon inside of us, I absolutely do believe Christians can be influenced by the devil when they don't spend time with God, don't, you know, affiliate themselves with sin, when they, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that we do need to be caught. Um, we do need to be, um, you know, aware of. We, we, we have to do our due diligence as well. Um, Doug McKee asks, exorcisms aren't really done anymore, so how are we supposed to get these unclean spirits out? Simply by commanding them to get out because you have authority over them. And the idea that exorcisms are not done anymore is not correct. They're not as popular in Western culture. But if you leave the U.S. and go to you know, other places, actual exorcisms are very popular. There are churches. The Orthodox Church has one. Um, as a matter of fact, let me touch on this. The Orthodox Church has one. Um, Roman Catholics have whole lit liturgy, litanies of you know, processes around exorcism, etc., etc., etc. But let, let's touch on the Orthodox Church. Historically, baptism was an exorcism right. We've lost that in our present age because, you know, we've interpreted and simplified baptism down. And when I say we, I mean evangelicals primarily in the Western Hemisphere. We've simplified baptism down and, hey, we'll dip underwater and it's a public symbol, a public symbol of, you know, hey, that we're affiliated with Christ. And that's good and fine. I'm not saying that's evil. However, know that and you see this in 1 Peter. If you read that thing that I just quoted, and I'm going to go back to it right quick, and I'm going to ask you to bear with me on this because we'll go deeper in this in another talk if you want to. Uh, 1 Peter, let me see if I find it again. Um, here. When, it, when he went and preached to the spirits in prison, disobedient long ago, in this same 1 Peter 3, if you read it from beginning to end, you see he's talking about baptism. And if you get down to 21, and this prefigured baptism, which now saves you, not the washing off of physical dirt, but the pledge of a good conscience to God through the resurrection of Christ. You can, you're starting to pick up what he's putting down here, that 
tied to Jesus going to the, 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 where the prisons, prisoners were and taking that authority, you're pledging allegiance to that side of the war. So what the, the, the early church fathers, and I believe the apostles, etc., and like I said, if you want, we can do a separate teaching on that. But what the early church fathers did in their baptism process was they made you, you, you'd repeat after them and you'd make a pledge of allegiance on the side of the Lord in the battle. And I'd probably suggest that'd be a nice thing to see us reinstitute into and I'll, I'll go further they even used to make you spit it put water in your mouth and spit it out and spit it at the devil it, you know symbolizing the, whatever bad spirits you have inside of you leaving you and coming out like it was a serious business for them it was not just i'm gonna sprinkle some water i'm gonna dip you it was we'll sprinkle some water and dip you and what we are emulating is what peter spoke about where moses went through the water covered by the ark and he came out on the other side of the water saved. That's what Peter was talking about. But like I said, it's a different conversation for a different time. I don't want to keep you guys too long. Um, let me see if I have any other ones. Walk in the spirit so as not to... Yes, correct. Walk in the spirit so as not to be influenced by a demon. So, I'm going to jump off now. I think this was very useful. We can continue the chat in the, you know, in the, the comments later on or on Facebook or whatever have you. Um, this was really, really great. I, I like the, the live interaction. It's my first time doing it and it was quite encouraging to see the feedback and stuff. I gotta give a special shout out to all my people in what we call the Bodega Bible Talk. Those are some really, really good people that have been very instrumental. You know, people like CMB, people like Phil Fox, people like BK the Apologist, people like the Savvy Budgeter, um, Warrior Woman. They've been extremely encouraging to me and extremely, like I've learned a lot from them. All of them have YouTube channels and all of their YouTube channels are absolutely amazing. Um, so <clears throat> this was good. Um, look forward to doing this again. Maybe we'll do more lives and less pre-recordings. Um, grace and peace, y'all. I hope this was absolutely a blessing to everyone and look forward to doing it again. Yeah.